0: Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Mind Rolling. On the Be Here Now Network, I'm Raghu and I'm with Lodro Rinsler and uh, somebody who we have never met before. These are the most enjoyable podcasts for me because it's like, okay, now we can get to know each other through this medium, which is so fantastic, really. And so welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm excited that we have a chance to get to know each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. Well, give us a little bit of uh, background in terms of uh, all of your causes and conditions that created what is sitting in front of me now, at least the external part, but then the internal stuff too. You know, I always am interested to know what are the things that help just basically transform uh, your life. Uh, Every one of us has a story that is uh, actually pretty wonderful that we all I mean, the, got that opportunity to be able to realize there is something beyond the senses and the ego and the I, and, you know, here we are. Uh, that's, uh, how about some gratitude for that? Yeah, so, yeah, a little bit of background and, and a little bit about uh, the transformational process for you.
0: Sure. So I uh, am maybe in a little bit of a unique position, just in that I was born into a Buddhist household in New York City. So my parents had already been studying the Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche for some time. Chogyam
1: Trungpa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And so the meditation practice, but also just the teachings around Buddha nature and basic goodness were already in the household by the time that I came around. I feel very fortunate for that. So. You know, there's the outer conditions that you say that I was having to be born into this particular situation. That's really
1: graceful.
0: And then there's the inner stuff of like, people often ask, like, oh, what was it like, you know, growing up meditating? It's like, that's fine and good. Um, But the attitude of being raised in a family where the notion wasn't your kid did something bad, you're bad, (laughs) but a sense of like the kid is basically good, the kid has Buddha nature. Mm. like all beings, and they act from a place of confusion sometimes. And it's just, I think that is a teaching that was embedded in me from a very young age. And that (laughs) inner causes and conditions, I feel like, has greatly influenced me Mm. over time. You know, I think particularly now, we have these times where it's very divided. We have people here in the U.S. where it's very divided politically. It's very divided around what we should or shouldn't be doing in terms of, vaccine and masks and all sorts of things, pandemic related. And it's very easy for us now these days to turn to someone and say, I don't like what you're doing or what you did and you're bad and you're wrong. And I close out my heart to you. And I feel like the inner causes and conditions that you mentioned uh, in my upbringing really sparked something in me of like, actually, if I perceive someone to be like that, I need to seek to understand them a little better. I need to actually open to them a little more and understand where they're coming from. And then later on in life, you know, I started doing more meditation retreats. So starting in my preteen and teenage years, I started doing weekend retreats. And then when I was 17, I spent a, a stint the summer at uh, Gempo Abbey, which is a monastery, monastic situation community in Nova Scotia. And uh, they have, they had a program. I wonder if they still have it where young people could shave their head and take the robes for a period of time and try out that life. And that really sparked something in me hmm. in that. My parents had never done that. It was the first time in my life that I said, oh, this is a different path than what they do. They've never done this. And I had a real moment of realization during a walking meditation where I said, oh, then this is now something that I'm choosing to do, and this is my own. And I went from there into um, running a small group at university. Just I thought I could get a bunch of people together who happen to know how to meditate. We could meditate together because I'd never been without a community. And, of course, a lot of young people showed up saying, I don't know how to meditate. I thought you were going to teach us how to meditate. And I didn't like, I couldn't do that. So I, I started getting teachers to come visit us. And then those teachers eventually said, listen, you've done all of the prerequisites for mindfulness teacher training. Why don't you go do that? So I started giving instruction from a very young age. I was 18 at the time. You know, it's quite bad instruction, but I was still, you know, doing it at that time. And, uh, after college, I, I started as the nonprofit of a Buddhist uh, group and then and took over doing development work for a Buddhist organization. Then started my own nonprofit. They ran a network of meditation studios in New York City for a period of time called Mindful. So we had mm. you know three different meditation studios, like drop-in, like yoga studios. And along the way, I've written a handful of books, uh, starting about ten years back when the Buddha walks into a bar, and then the most recent one is Take Back Your Mind, which is Buddhist advice for anxious times, which again seem to be the times that we're living in. So that's the nutshell of, yeah. of the, sort of how I ended up doing all of these things, but I think it all sparked from a young age of, of really getting into the practice. Very fortunately and very privileged that I actually had access to the practice from such a young age.
1: Geez, my parents didn't have that pl- that perspective somehow. God, I mean that is phenomenal. Where where was this? Where where were you? Where were you brought up with your parents?
0: Just New York City in the city. Yeah. Good
1: on New York City. Wow. Um, uh, I often talk about Trump Rinpoche on podcasts and with people, various people. Uh, He is someone I would uh, put in the pantheon of maybe top five Western, uh, (laughs) Eastern teachers who could really speak to Western people in a way that was so uh, unique, clear, and original. Uh, just uh, and uh, when I first came back from India with uh, and Ramdas also had left India, so a few few of us came back uh, at uh, one time. And uh, I I'm from Montreal, and my father had this farm right on the edge of uh, Quebec Vermont uh, border, and maybe an hour and a quarter from. I guess it's called. yeah, It was called "Tale of the Tiger." Karma. I think it's Karma Choling now, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we would go down to see, you know, Trungpa, and, and there, there's a great uh, talk that was recorded by uh, Trungpa people. Uh, I'm and, and somehow we got a hold of it, and and it was he was I'm, I'm ranting a little bit here but it's a it's a good story especially you must love trump or Rinpoche. i uh, uh he was giving a talk around carlos castaneda's book uh the way of the Yaki, and he was he got ramdas in the middle of the whole thing to say what do you think ramdas and uh, whatever ramdas said i can't quite remember right now uh It was maybe a little bit um, facile, and Trump uh, didn't like that kind of, you know, like a spiritual (laughs) aphorismist kind of thing. And he, uh, Ramdas, I think you got to consider that we need to be responsible. And then they went into this whole thing, and he brought him up uh, by him on the stage. It's a fantastic. It's a video too, I believe. Yeah, I think even we have a a video and audio. Anyhow, so we had so he had so much fun with Ramdas, and he used to call us the loving lighters, you know, from the Bhakti tradition. And here we were, and uh, so it's a a major um, marking point for me in terms of a a teacher, uh, and he uh, to this day.
0: And I think the thing that one of the many things I'm sure that those two had in common is exactly what you pointed at, which is this accessibility factor. This, not the sense of like, this is something that you theoretically should be interested in, but this is how it's integrated into your everyday life. And that's always yeah. been the point of fascination for me, you know, yeah. from a young age. It's just, maybe it's just the Westerner in me that's like, okay, but what is, how does this actually integrate?
1: Yeah. You know, it's yes, what mind rolling, like, this whole thing I've been doing is all about. That's the, as far as I'm concerned, the mission of it to draw yeah. down all of this and say, okay, how can we use this in a practical way? And uh, yeah, so we're on the same page there, Lodger.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. And I appreciate, you know, as my atheist brother would say, you doing God's work. Um, <laughs> you know, but It is that sense of like, this is really good work to be doing because there are so many people that are hungry to understand, yes, I practice meditation, I practice yoga, I practice, you know, whatever it might be for you. How do I integrate the spiritual teachings into the nitty gritty of my work life, my social life, my romantic life, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's that's the challenge for all of us, to have these sorts of conversations where we realize that we don't have to put meditation over here and our, the rest of our life over here, but they have to come together and to be integrated.
1: Absolutely, and and more. You know, I'd like to think of it more broadly than just meditation. I think re- meditation represents a portal to get to know oneself a little bit better. And there are though that portal's actually very wide. And inc- and for us, of course, includes chant. I think you know who Krishnadas is, and mm-hmm. um, so that's very much a part of our practice as well, which we don't differ whatsoever from. Uh, a uh, It is a meditation practice there's there 's not much difference at all, except in uh, the ways in which one can approach getting to know oneself better through in this case, of course it 's through the heart because of yeah. what music does and chant and, and you know so it's uh it's it 's a good word that we can use for everything that one can utilize to get to know yeah. oneself better. Yeah. Um so one one thing in the uh, I went through the book, Take Back Your Mind. Do you ever hear you know who Annie Lamott is? The yeah. the great writer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's got she's got a great thing. I I hope I'll get it right. Um my my mind is like a what the hell does she say? A bad neighborhood, and I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want to run into anything in the, in an alley, you know, something like that. It's uh, what yeah. she said. It was, I'm sorry, I can't get it exactly right, but it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, she's a mass, a master of analogies. Yeah, I admire yeah. that so much. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, she's unique too. But anyhow, it, you talk about uh, this thing. You mentioned this thing from Thich Nhat Hanh, great uh, Zen monk. Never in human history have we had so many means of communication, television, radio, telephone, fax, email, internet, yet we remain islands with little real communication between us. And uh, I think that the when you talk about anxiety and you talk about what we've been going through as a result of the pandemic, uh, racial injustice, uh, deep, deep societal polarization, and... Uh, and I think you even loosely mentioned it a little earlier around polarization of who's vaxxed and who's not vaxed and and it's becoming more and more insidiously uh dark and i th- I believe, and that's why it just this struck me uh, that absolutely uh, the reality of Uh, the non-communication and feeling we are adrift in our own separate uh, cells is pretty pervasive.
0: You're absolutely right. It's a time where we have more and more means to communicate. And that's wonderful. I mean, you and I could not have this conversation if we, the way that we are, you know, Mm. 30 years ago. Um, And yet, You know, His Holiness the Karmapa in his book, Interconnected, has a similar notion where he says, you know, your phone cannot give you a hug. (laughs) I love that. It's like no matter how many likes you get on social media, how many people comment under your photo, it's not the same as someone giving, looking you in the eyes and giving you a hug. And we are missing a lot of human connection right now. I mean, this is the thing that we didn't even realize that we were missing. We sort of took for granted before the pandemic and now of course we so many of us are saying like when can i ever see my older family member who you know i haven't seen yeah. for 2 years and yeah. you yeah, know yeah. when will it be comfortable for me to to give them a hug and um it was interesting when all of this happened starting in march of 2020 i would have all these meditation students sit down with me and they would say so when do you think this is going to be over as if somehow like my training and after training and meditation would have somehow prepared me for a pandemic and virology um but the <laughs> idea that i had to turn to them with is i don't know and it's gonna be It doesn't sound like anyone knows exactly and isn't this an interesting time for us to get comfortable with not knowing that if we could actually get really good at being with uncertainty and groundlessness now here in this instance then we will be better prepared for every other moment in life when it comes up because mm-hmm. there's never going to be a lack of times when yeah. we feel uncertain and groundless.
1: Yeah, That's, uh, Ram Ramdas. of course, called his uh, getting a stroke fierce grace. And this this whole experience for all of us is a bunch of that too. Um, and I, uh, there, uh, this is something I found right at the beginning of the pandemic. I read s- this thing somebody had pointed out that the ancient Chinese had a pretty interesting term for going through this kind of very... Uh, Big transformation, dangerous opportunity. I love that. Isn't that great?
0: <laughs> to come back to Trump Rinpoche, the opening lines of his poem "Timely Rain." He says, "In the garden of gentle sanity, may you be bombarded by coconuts of wakefulness." And it's the same mm. idea, right? Is where's that from? Going- Wait,
1: that's fantastic. Wait a minute. I, where's that from? I got it. <laughs> so we got to put that in the show notes <laughs> or something. I'm not familiar.
0: There's a book of his poetry that's entitled Timely Rain. And this is the poem with that name, Timely Rain. And that's the opening lines. And it is this amazing thing. Like we have or had a garden of gentle sanity. We're going about our day-to-day life. Things are basically happening. Our bills are getting paid and our work is normal and our spouse seems to like us well enough. And then something happens. And it's not an acorn that hits us in this analogy. It is a coconut. And a coconut falling from the sky, if a coconut hits me from a tree above, it's going to knock me to my knees. It's going to knock me for a loop. What am I doing in that moment? Am I curling up in a ball and hiding out and hoping that no more coconuts come and hit me, waiting for it to be over? Or do I see it on a dangerous opportunity, to use that term, Mm. and say this is Mm. the opportunity for wakefulness? It's a coconut of wakefulness that's hitting me. In the garden of gentle saying, may coconuts awake one, may you be bombarded by coconuts of one mm. after another bombarded and everything of that word. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> life is going to give us coconuts. It's just, this is what happens. And we just happen to be in a moment where it's a societal, like we're all getting hit by a similar looking coconut where we live, our socioeconomic status, all sorts of things shift. And, you know, our, it, like the pandemic hits different people in different ways for sure. Um, but the fact that there is a pandemic is a coconut that's hitting all of us, and that is a really interesting that we all have to grapple with that groundlessness and that pain, the suffering that life has brought us. In addition to whatever coconuts are already hitting us, you know whether it is maybe your partner has split, or maybe it's that your job has fallen apart, or maybe that your housing situation's um, not it's it's crumbling. Whatever it is, like there are, will always be coconuts. So what do we do with that? And I think, you know, the purpose of this new book, Take Back Your Mind, is to give people, yes, meditation, because, you know, that's that's the thing that I do in these books, but also just on-the-spot techniques of how to work with the mind so that we don't continue to curl up in a ball. That when anxiety and stress arise in our life, we say, I can do something with this. I can actually work with my mind and make better choices than to continue to perpetuate story after story of what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they say this? Then I'm going to say that those stories keep us locked in pain, and they are not actually helpful to us. So the training that we engage in here, particularly around meditation, but also in post-meditation working with the mind, allows us to make better choices, to not hold ourselves in that state, and to Mm -hmm. be more present, and within the present moment to find more joy.
1: So here's a great uh, definition uh, of meditation. Okay, Just occurred to me as you were saying, you probably have to give your definition of it as well. But this comes from uh, Sharon Salzberg, who had been working in Baltimore with uh, youth over there and teaching meditation in schools or having people do it and she was running it, whatever. But she did go there at one time. Um, Well, maybe she did. She got word that this one young woman, I mean young woman, like 12, 13, 14, that, uh, that young Uh, who had had a tough time because of her background and upbringing and all of that and got very reactive. So was told meditation will cut down that reactivity for you in some way, however they said it to her. And uh, anyhow, so she took it up and one day in the gym someone did something they shouldn't have to her and she took that another young person up against the wall by the neck kind of a deal and looked her in the eye and said, you're lucky. I know how to meditate. <laughs>
0: that.
1: Okay. That's what yeah. it's about folks. Okay. Absolutely. yeah, uh, Creating spaciousness so that uh, you're just not a complete victim of your mini me thing.
0: Yeah, in early on in this new book, I talk a little bit about this distinction between stress and anxiety. Stress is something stressful happens. Your landlord knocks on your door and says, "Hey, you're overdue on rent. You, you know, you owed this to me a week ago. Get it to me by Friday." The landlord in this moment does not say, "And I need you to be in a constant state of pain about it between now and then." They don't care about that. They just want their money. We, however, might then internalize this and say, well, here's what I'm going to tell them next time I see them, and here's how I'm going to stretch this, and here's what I'm going to do there, and here's who's to blame, and here's who's fault. And those stories that we then pile on top prolong that experience of stress into anxiety. It is us keeping ourselves locked in anxiety. And I'm sure you're aware of the old two arrows analogy, that we're walking through a forest, out of nowhere an arrow comes and hits us in the arm. And we know that the best thing to do in that moment is to take the arrow out of our arm, to place it down, to tend to our own healing. But what all too many of us do instead is we say, who shot me? (laughs) I bet it was the landlord that shot me. It's always like this guy. He's always headed out for me. And of course, he's the person that's going to shoot me. And why is it always me that gets shot? And so on and so forth. And these stories, these stories that we tell ourselves, instead of actually tending to our healing, we just perpetuate in our own mind, all of this pain and suffering around it, that's known as the second arrow. First arrow, mm. suffering that hits us as part of life. Coconuts, if you will, that bombard us. Second arrow, the way that we react to those yeah, things. Right. And the ways that we keep ourselves yeah. perpetually in motion around them and holding on to them. Mm.
1: Mm. It's it, and it, that's
0: it, that's what meditation helps us with, right? Is exactly mm. what you just said. It says, Oh, I'm gonna instead of I'm gonna catch myself somewhere in that second arrow, loosen that hold so I can actually tend to the first arrow. Itself. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a. I like the analogy of football. It's called piling on. You get a penalty for it when you do it, and that's kind of what it is. Because we just, I mean, I I have seen it in so many. I mean, mindfulness is a great thing. Okay, everybody, and it's not just the ubiquitous term that is out there in the Western culture now, spiritual culture. It is real if you can come from, a. am saying all of this right now because I'm talking about myself, if you can come from a perspective that is not the little guy back there thinking that they're running the show, mini-me guy, if you can just move, as Ram Dass had this great meditation, loving awareness thing, moving out of that place in your head into the still small voice in the middle of your chest or whatever, and from there, you can actually see the motivations, the self-interest, and not judge it, just be with it. And if you can come from that place, mindfulness is an extremely powerful, uh, very necessary day-to-day, as you said, you said off the mat or off the you know, meditation cushion. Uh, these are the kinds of things. This is what is uh, vastly needed. And of course, meditation helps even in the initial things of just getting one pointed and being able to not just jump into absolutely everything that comes into that little mind and uh it's uh and believe it you know the it's believe it all i i talked once and i tell this story a lot too Uh, adyashanti great teacher and uh, we did a thing here and he was telling me about his his causes and conditions and bring and being brought up and and he was always even as a very young young lad in consternation as to how these adults behaved the way they talked to each other the uh loss of any kind of you know emotional control i mean just uh denigration and he was like blown away all the time and i think it was he told me maybe he was 10 or 11 he was in a situation again where all of this craziness was going completely unconscious behavior and he uh he had a his first realization and it was holy shit they believe in their thoughts <laughs> how great right yeah. they be- holy shit and that's what's going on and that's you're talking about these stories uh the belief in them is tough shall we say
0: yeah and early on you were talking about the causes and conditions that you know brought a lodro into being a lodro and in its current form which of course is always changing and evolving Mm -hmm. and learning from mistakes and so on but the um aspect here that i've encountered with so many people i imagine you have too is that they have come to believe a story that they are an anxious person this is just who I am. Yeah. I'm sure you've met these people. Mm-hmm. You say, Oh, you know, have you tried any of these modalities? Meditation, for example. I can't meditate. I'm, you don't understand. I'm an anxious person. And this is, just, it's an identity. It's an ego thing. It's like, this is who I am. And there's no shaking it as opposed to these are the patterns that I have learned because I have taken those thoughts. And made them into belief systems, and those belief systems become reinforced to the point that they are my identity.
1: Yeah, there's a big it's a jump, huge leap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big, big, big jump. And the the thing is, I think if if somebody says, you know, meditate, meditate, I can't, I can't sit there that long, and it's boring, it's this, I, you know, I've tried it and I can't do it, and I'm like, yeah, well. We are all in the same bucket saying the same bullshit to ourselves. So if you can just get to the place, I don't speak quite like that, but (laughs) if you you can get, I probably do a lot actually. Uh, I get to the place where you go, wow, there could be a different way to relate with this, right? Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I am doing something a little weird by saying, Jesus, you know, I'm anxious all the time. And maybe there's some validity that uh, there are issues there that need to be taken into account of and therapy helps and, and, and uh, so does uh, certain drugs that may, uh, you know, I've seen it myself with people and it's been, you can't discount anything and you can't just believe everything that you're thinking and every story you're telling yourself and the fact that you even realize that maybe there's something else is the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's just that willingness to become inquisitive. Well, if I'm not an anxious person, then who am I? Yeah, And the more that, you know, this is sort of like, you know, at this point I run an online meditation community year-round. I also run like five-month-long Buddhist immersion training so that people can sort of learn, you know, the various stages of the path of Buddhism in one, Mm you know, cohesive set of teachings. And in all these cases, you know, I'm encountering these people. It's like these, the moment that they start to loosen up just a little bit of the what if I'm not just an anxious person or what if I'm not basically messed up and they start yeah. to engage the practice. It's not Lodro telling them anything. It's them discovering for themselves. Oh, there's when I get out of my own way and I loosen some of the thoughts that come up, I don't just buy into them wholesale I let them go away and I come back to the breath. Yeah, it turns out I'm actually peaceful underneath. It turns out that there is this innate sense of calm. Mm. There is a sense mm-hmm. of goodness, wholeness, completeness as is in this moment. And all it takes is saying, maybe that's who you are. And they go, oh, shoot, what if I? Yeah, what if that's right. actually true? What if right. I am basically good? What if I am basically whole and complete as is?
1: Yeah, it's all possible. Just get there. That's wonderful. Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is a sense of humor. If, if yes. you cannot become so self-serious even around discovering that oh wait a minute maybe that's a, it's yeah that's okay but we're still human and we are going to continue to do the weirdest ass bullshit uh forever okay i'm you know uh, this is decades of this and i i see how clearly it's like ramdas told a funny thing you know i what did he say it was in this film becoming nobody that we did uh he This was when he was, you know, just maybe 10 years out of coming back from India. And he met up with one of his friends, professors from Harvard, who he knew back in the day. And the guy said to him, Dick, you're the same Meshuggahna that you used to be, okay? I mean, Meshuggahna crazy. Uh, And yeah, and he'd say, yeah, I have the same schmooze, that's what he Ramdas called them. The same schmooze, but I am not relating to them the same way whatsoever.
0: Yes, yeah, and I've often introduced my books by saying like, "There's two things that I've done: I've either studied with great teachers and learned a little something from them, or just as likely made mistakes along my spiritual path and learned from those." and you know, part of the fact that I got into all of this so young also meant that I was growing up, or I am growing up. I suppose I'm, I'm leaning towards 40 at this point, <laughs> I'll say. Um, I know, right, Ooh. yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that there is, like, the sense of, oh, I started teaching at 18, you know? I was really? a baby.
1: Really? Yeah,
0: and, you know, I, was, what does I wasn't... What did your parents
1: think of, of all that? Oh,
0: they thought it was okay, because they also started very young. Because, oh, you yeah? know, back then, there wasn't anyone... Senior, it was like whoever <laughs> showed up was sort of getting bonked and said, "You go start this particular study group that became, you know, a Buddhist center at some point." Um, but you know, I think it, it's this, that's the thing. It's like, yes, I I continue to study with excellent teachers and I continue to learn from them and go on retreat quite a bit and practice quite a bit as part of my daily life. And I'm always on the alert for when I make a mistake and say, "Okay, I need to be able to learn from this and vow not to repeat it." And, you know, I think these are some of the practices that point to that are really healing and also um, really good for us so that we can continue to evolve as humans. And I think yeah. that's the thing that we always. Early on, I, I talked about, you know, that thing that was implanted in me from a young age of like there's times that we're in connection with our innate wholeness and completeness and goodness. And there's times that we are confused along the way. And we all do that. And then can we seek to understand when people are doing that? So mm-hmm. it's been an interesting part of my life to always seek to understand when other people are acting from confusion, when I've acted from confusion, what I can learn from it, and that's just as interesting to me as all of the wonderful wisdom teachings that say, "Here's how you get things." quote. yeah, squirrel, yeah. Right. no,
1: that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, who are a couple of the teachers that you've uh, studied with,
0: actually? Yeah, primarily these days I study with Kielan Grimpache, who is a Nyingma teacher. Um, I've also, you know, these days in the pandemic, there are so many teachers who have brought their work online in a way that they hadn't before, Mm. and I feel very lucky to have benefited from that. So I've been able to study online with like Khandra Rinpoche, Dr. Larry Ward, and there's others as well who I consider like longtime friends and mentors who uh, continue to sort of nudge me. But those are some of the big ones that I've actually studied with, and uh, Keeling Rinpoche in particular has been guiding my teaching in the last several years, which has been really wonderful. Mm, Uh, That's great. Sort of, you know, gently poking poked and prodded and um mm-hmm. and helped guide both my practice and my study and my teaching
1: i stole mind rolling from Kondro rinpoche i'm so sorry i won't tell rinpoche her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean but she's uh, been I just love incredible the concept. in making teachings accessible she will go through a yeah. traditional text and you know you'll say oh wow she's covering this text in this weekend and you say she covered 5 out of the 100 verses in that week at the time go you know yeah, and no, so it's she like is. she can be quite voluminous and quite clear at the same time which is Yeah really and awesome.
1: speaks uh, excellent English also which is a big yeah. deal uh for obviously for westerners and uh, as a woman is unique in her role there are not a lot yeah. and you mentioned and uh, I have to Mention his name is Karmapa. and yeah. uh, and how much he's trying to change that whole culture is phenomenal. And everybody out there listening I've mentioned Karmapa before, but uh, he the things he's doing uh, in support of uh, making real change, environmental change, uh, gender change within the Tibetan thing, uh, and, uh, and much more. He is and he's young. he's younger than Lodro okay yeah i
0: would say by two years at
1: least i think he's not more than 35 right now uh okay but maybe a little but anyhow the point being when you look i mean i i met him and i had met uh, his predecessor the 16th karmapa and got blessings from him uh just a year before he died i think in los angeles and uh and so I, I met actually with Krishnadas and Sharon a couple of other people in, uh, at a, His Holiness the Dalai Lama at a Kala Chakra in Washington quite a number of years ago. And uh, whatever that thing is, and this is another, I, I've mentioned this before because it was so powerful. We didn't talk about anything, just fun stuff sitting in his hotel room. Okay, nothing spiritual whatsoever. Of course, his presence is, you know, he's quite beautiful physically as well, Uh man. And uh, at one point when we were leaving, you know, we all had a silk scarf, Katha, and and he was doing that exchange. And he said, thank you very much. And he just um, took my hand, you know, thank you, like uh, namaste. And... uh And this understanding I happened was this experiential. Oh my God, that's what goes from one thing to another. Whatever that thing is, you know, nobody can call. um, I had a whole thing with Bob Thurman a couple of weeks ago about soul. Of course, there's soul in Buddhism. He went. It was such. He gave a fantastic little rap about that. But whatever that thing is, I totally I recognized it, and I was blown away by it. And uh, I, I yeah, I was pretty gonzo for about two or three hours, just just from that experience. and uh, the the reality of who this being is, and being so right for your generation, next generation, twenties and thirties, forty, whatever. For anybody, I'm still my 30s. But, we'll
0: hold on, yeah. To it for yeah now. You get that, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. So, that's my little thing on, uh, in terms of us talking about teachers and Khandra Rinpoche, and um, uh, and of course, Karmapa, and then uh, the other being that I would strive also who I was really fortunate to, I've done a couple of podcasts with, and I did one just a few weeks ago. Mingju Rinpoche is phenomenal, okay, yeah. phenomenal. So yeah. all of you out there, yeah, the the these uh, Tibetans that, as a result of the diaspora of the whole disintegration, uh, when the Chinese did what they did in '59, uh, I mean, we have been the beneficiaries of extraordinary beings. I mean, just extra. I mean, I had to go to India to to find, or thank God, Ramdas did, and I I did follow him and found that extraordinary being as well. So uh, yeah, take advantage of these people. Really,
0: yeah. I mean, somewhere between that and the transformation that the internet has introduced,
1: yeah, where it used to
0: be, if I want to study Japanese Zen, I will have to go to Japan. If I want to study Tibetan Buddhism, I would have to go to Tibet. And then, you know, I always used to joke when I was teaching in New York City that you know you could go to Chelsea, which I called the Dharma District. And just go to a bunch <laughs> of places all within an hour. You can check out this place, right. the Zen place, Tibetan place, uh, check out this different Tibetan place, and they're all yeah. within a couple of blocks of each other. Yeah. And then now in the pandemic world that we live in, um, everything's online. Not yeah. everything, but you know a lot of things. Yeah, no, but are but online. it's all
1: available. And uh, I just did a I did a weekend uh, retreat with uh, Manger Rinpoche about a month ago. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's pretty phenomenal. You know, that's we can have a whole chat around the efficacy of this age of the internet versus the downside of it, it's pretty interesting. Again, two different worlds, you know, and it's how you relate with it, either one, either the good yes. or the bad. It's just how you relate with it. And
0: uh, No, I'm with you. I, I always think of it akin to a hammer. You know, you could hang up a nail and hang the most beautiful piece of art, or you could you know, hit someone in the arm with it or something like that. You yeah, know, it's sure. the same tool, but what is our intent in using it and why and what action then stems out of that intention? Yeah. So we could lose hours online, on social media and elsewhere, shopping, yeah. Netflix, if we don't really have a clear intention. Or we say, you know what, I'm going to spend a half hour on my correspondence and email and I'm going to close it out and I'm going to do something else. And that's a different sort of intention and action that flows out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're right. And, you know, particularly in these days that we could, um just be intentional around I, i'm finding a lot of teachers saying this you know like okay yes you can study with me online and here's the parameters you don't do this while you're driving your car you don't do this while, <laughs> like you actually are intentional about it so that you receive the teachings properly and i think that's
1: really nice <laughs> uh there's something else you talk about that i like it's uh taking your foot out of your mouth remember i'd like to take it further though and and just talk about um It's one thing to not have mindfulness, mindful speech. And we all do that all the time. Just get cut off by anybody and you'll immediately start swearing at them and so on. Uh, But what to me is even... And this brings karma into it, which we haven't really discussed. Like the karma of what's going on with this pandemic. This isn't just something... We are part of this. We have created this. We are co-creators, rather, of this with nature, within nature. Anyhow, the way in which we talk to ourselves, let's talk about that. The way in which we talk to ourselves and put ourselves down and do all of that you know, unworthy bullshit, uh, that's one thing. But then the way in which we... Uh, react to phenomena that come in from situations and people, it creates karma. It's something I talked to Bob Thurman about a couple of weeks ago, actually. And that is uh, just being mindful there might be extremely important. Right?
0: Yes. And first of all, I'm just going to take the opportunity to plug his new book, because I don't even know if he would have during his podcast. I would like to think that he did, but it's, it's quite good. Yes. Are you, of course he did. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, you know, it's, I believe it's called wisdom is bliss. And it's, it is, I mean, he's fond of this refrain, um, Bob Thurman, which is Buddhism is realism. And I, I think about that all the time. Mm. It's not like there's some esoteric stuff we're doing here. It's like the Buddha pointed out a bunch of stuff that is, He's like, let me show you something that happens here. It's called impermanence. Things change. Please find me something that's that's permanent, and I'll I'll let it go. And you can't. So I guess he's just pointing at the real reality of things. And there you go, Buddhism is realism. So stuff like mm. that, I really love. He's he's very good at making a lot of esoteric material in that book very accessible to people. Um, and yes, I mean, I, I when you're talking, I got thinking about this. Connection between body, speech, and mind, which is obvious. Obviously, a very common thing that comes up in Buddhism. This connection between the three. My wife and I, you know, we are fans of the show American Horror Story, but not surprisingly, when we watch it right before bed, one or both of us will have nightmares. <laughs> what activity just took place affected our mind, and then our mind is affected throughout the night. Right? Like that's not uncommon. Um, if I am the sort of person that would go around gossiping. Then when I walk away from people, my mind is thinking, Oh my gosh, I wonder what they're saying about me. Right. Like that's, that affects my mind. So similarly, everything that comes out of the mind then translates into our activity, our body and our speech. If we, I know people who are so incredibly anxious, you say, how are you doing? They've been sitting in this stew of anxiety for so long in their own mind. They say, well, let me tell you what's going wrong and what I'm worried about. (laughs) It just comes out of their speech and vomits out. Yeah. So, these three are very connected. And I, I think you're right. You know, there's the way that we talk about ourselves. You mentioned that briefly. That sense of um, a dear friend and uh, co author of a previous book called How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People, Megan Watterson, she uses this phrase in that book, Inner Bitch Radio. And I love that. <laughs> the sense of like this channel going off in our mind of like, you jerk, why didn't you say that? You shouldn't have said this thing. What? Now everyone knows it. And it's we, we just listen to it. It's like the most entertaining thing in the world and then that is different than what we often do in meditation ideally in post meditation the other waking hours of our day as well which is to turn the channel and say i don't need to listen to that thank you we come back to what's happening right now not that voice so that's the sort of internal voice and then it as you said it seeps out it affects our speech with others it affects how we show up for our work for you know our romantic relationships how our friendships all of the things in our life um, so I, I think, you know, these things, we sort of have to be very inquisitive. I was going to say, say the word careful, but I think inquisitive is better. Just becoming very curious about what do I spend all of my time doing in my head and how is that going to
1: affect my yeah. activity speech
0: and yeah. vice versa? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, just take, uh, this polarization where I'm talking about, this is very present for me right now, which is the vaxxed, unvaxxed thing because we're putting on programs and so on, our first physical programs. Uh, uh, at, in L.A., by the way, if you're out here, Lodro, at uh, Wisdom Theater, this beautiful big dome, we're going to show some VR stuff and have Jack Cornfield and our other friends and Trudy and Christian Das and others uh, just honoring Ramdas and the 50th anniversary of the publication of be here now so that's happening down there so what happened is of course uh we said uh, all admission is based on proof of covid vaccination Uh, we could you know because with the uh the reality around testing is very difficult even now. Right now you can hardly get a rapid test. You can't buy them. You know, there's something going on in this country that in Europe there's much more prevalence of them. Anyhow, stuff like that. So we, this is what the board, we thought, okay, this is the one thing we want to try and do is keep people safe in there. So we're getting blowback, you know, not a lot but a little. How can you mandate what a person can do with their body kind of thing? And then... Now I get the beautiful opportunity of watching myself. On one hand, I'm like, "Well, now the county has uh, mandated this that and you have to wear a mask," and there's that wonderful calm, rational response. Then there's another there's another somebody in there that's responding. Are you fucking crazy? That you wouldn't you don't care about anybody else, and you won't get. Vax, you know, that other, you, he, he, they're there. And that is the most interesting thing that to me has come out of all this because I have good friends who are on the other side of the fence, right? Yeah. I've been talking about people I relate with on a day-to-day and spiritually we're in the same pocket and all that BS. And the reality is now something has happened, and now I'm getting an opportunity. Okay, what are we
0: really, what's going on
1: here? You know, that's why I love that
0: yeah. chapter. And it, it reminds me, since we were talking about teachers before, you know, I have not had the opportunity to study live with Dignit Khan, but his work has influenced me more than just about any other teacher in my lifetime. Mm. And both the written work and all the videos and courses and things like that, that I've been able to access... And he is fond of, in many different ways, reiterating the simple quote, which is, understanding is the other name of love. If we can't understand, then we can't love. And this has been such a guiding thing for me to contemplate. And I, can, I could give a whole talk just on that quote if I wanted to. But you know, it's the sense that if we aren't experiencing a sense of open-heartedness, if I, I'll swap out that term, open-heartedness for love here. For someone, because we do not, uh, they're doing something we perceive as wrong or bad or inconsiderate of others or public health or whatever. Have we actually sat down and really sought to understand them well? And, you know, have we actually put ourselves in their shoes and really learned, like, how did you get to be this way? You know, I have neighbors who are QAnon. I have old friends who refuse to get the vaccine under the banner of medical freedom. And it's, I I'm in, I say this because I'm in the same boat as you. It's not like I've somehow transcended any sense of uh, uh, frustration or anything like that. It's just I realize, though, at the same time, that I have not actually really learned to understand where they're coming from. When I notice myself getting so upset with them, it's like, well, where where can I seek to understand them? How can I actually get into some semblance of how they got to be who they are? And um, there is this amazing moment in an interview that uh, Representative John Lewis did before he passed away with Krista Tippett. It was in her series oh, yeah. on Being. Oh yeah. 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 And um, he said, "You know, back when he was in the civil rights era, mm. and people, white people, police officers." They would beat you. They would spit on you. And they were trained to think, or he was trained to think. Now, that person was an innocent child. He was an innocent little baby. And so what happened? Did something go wrong? Did the environment? Did someone teach that person to hate? So you try to appeal to the goodness of every human being, and you don't give up. You never give up mm. on anyone. This last few lines are actually the exact quote, because it's it's burned into my brain. That it's like... you You just don't give give up up. on anyone. And, Mm. um, Mm. you know, I I mean, if he can do that from that position where he's actively being hurt, I I always take inspiration from that because that means that I can't do that. I can seek to understand others. You know, how did you get to be where you are? How did, how did this level of confusion? Cause no one is born hating someone else. No one is born with, um, extreme beliefs But we learn them. I actually was thinking about this not so long ago because I was contemplating this friend's like, how could they possibly, you know, like this friend literally used to live in upstate New York where I live, and he uprooted himself and his family and moved down south to ensure that there wouldn't be a mandate where he would have to get this vaccine. He literally, after generations of his family being here, (laughs) moved down south, which is, you know, that's right. Um, But I was definitely like, wow, how did it get to be this way? And I thought, gosh, he's been, he's become such an extremist. And I was thinking about this as I was sort of getting ready for my day. And it was actually around the time that my last book came out. And this last book, Take Back Your Mind, um, all of the proceeds from this book actually go to uh, the Loveland Foundation, which does uh, therapeutic support for people of color and uh, Feeding America Food Banks, which is, Mm. um, you know, making access to food. Because I I was like, this is the book that's coming out in the pandemic, and I want to make sure that in addition to the words actually hopefully helping people, that the proceeds also help people. And um, I thought to myself, God, you know, I bet this person, who I'm considering an extremist, probably thinks that I've been converted into, like, all of this liberal thinking. Why would I ever give away my hard-earned money to help all these other people who don't care? You know, like, I could just see that being something that he might say about me. That I have been so converted left wing in the same way that I think he has been converted into, um, a little bit more of somewhat uh, extremist thinking around the vaccine, you know? And I, I just thought, yeah, like I, he could probably do this to me too. This othering that I'm doing right now. And I had to drop it. Mm. I had to drop the othering.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I had similar It didn't experience. serve either of us. Yeah. yeah. No. And it, it doesn't, um, uh, On the other hand, when you actually start to know people who have died or who have had extreme uh, issues around having COVID, it gets a little tough. It, yeah, I guess it gets tough around any uh, the idea, and this is maybe my projection of, of there being a selfishness to it because you're just thinking of yourself. Even if you're yeah. young and you're healthy, even if you get it, you you move through it. Joe Rogan is a good example of that. Uh, you know who Joe Rogan is? Yeah, yeah no, I know, know I, I, if
0: the furrow of my brow is just cause I thought that was such a weird concerning case. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it came up. Joe came up. And, yeah. uh, but I mean, not you bringing up, that was the concerning case because it was someone who's, I was like, ah, here could be a real learning experience for so many people. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly (laughs) that. And, and just the, the idea, yeah, that doesn't seem to be a thought outside of me, me, me that. And I guess, so I look at that and see, okay, I'm reacting to that internally. And, uh, okay, that's now for me. This is for me on a silver spoon to just go inside and see where I'm stuck there. And yeah. uh, the, so that's the beauty. If we can all just, it's moving into that perspective. And then everything changes. Everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify, you know, for me, I, I feel like the, that first, I just named a first step. The first step for me is look at how I'm othering this person. Look yeah. at how, like, my heart is shut down to this person. I am not understanding where they're coming from. There is no free flowing, flowing love in this case. I'm hitting a barrier. Now knowing that I can do something about it, I can seek to understand. And then often when we sit down and say, like, Can you can I ask you a bunch of questions? Can I get inquisitive about how you ended up here? Mm. And there's a genuine like curiosity about that person. They're more willing to also be vulnerable and open and yeah. further understanding yeah, can be reached, but also like that's where we start to have real communication.
1: But it's all in the tone of one's voice. It's all True. right there, you know. I, I come out of r- uh, radio, and that's how I met Ramdas way back in the day. And we used to screw around. Uh, and this is in Montreal, so we had like the CRTC, which was like FTC. And I we used to screw around. You weren't allowed to swear, so we would do little kind of fake commercials. Oh. Here's a new beauty product for for your hair, and it, boy, it just fucking absolutely worked. We never, ever got called on it, ever, not one call, because we weren't we had no tone behind it. So I learned all about tone through being in the in the radio uh, business at that time, but that is true absolutely i mean there's two things is one is your tone and the other is your the reality of receptiveness and attentiveness to the other person those couple of things really make a huge difference well this has been great lodro hanging out
0: yeah it's been really such a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and just to have a chat
1: yeah no it's fun it's great and by the way everybody on in the show notes you know be able to get linked up to Lodro's books and which in uh, this book in particular very very uh, as we said in the very beginning uh, the idea for how do we practically integrate the these concepts into our lives which is what it's all about so thanks for that and uh, yeah we'll do it again
0: i would love that thank you so much for having me on
1: Absolutely. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. By the way, if you're interested in the wisdom, even if you're not in L.A., but you want to sign on to the live stream, go to Ramdas.org slash wisdom. That's W-I-S-D-O-M-E, wisdom. So, uh, And we will see you next time.